Success in publishing is not just writing a great book. It requires people. People to talk about your book. People to buy your book. People to publish your book. People to give you feedback about how your book could be better. People to recommend your book to others. People, people, people. And for some authors, the reason that they're struggling is because they are isolated. They're alone in a room typing away, hoping the internet will magically find them readers. Well, I'm sad to tell you that the internet is not going to do that. The internet is bombarding all of your potential readers with a million distractions to keep them from hearing about your book. Yes, you can wrestle the internet to help you, but by default, it's going to get in your way. So how do you connect with the people needed to make your book a success? My grandparents' generation called this winning friends and influencing people. My generation calls it networking. And one key tool in networking is your pitch, a short summary of what your book is about and why it would be interesting to read. So how do you win friends and influence people? How do you put together a pitch that makes it easy to talk about your book? We'll find out in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a living writing books worth talking about. And we have a guest on the show today who's a master at helping writers craft compelling pitches, connecting with the kind of people they need to thrive. She is a former Hollywood development executive, and she worked on projects for John H. Williams, who produced... Small films you may have heard of, like the Shrek franchise. Lindsay Hughes, welcome to the Novel Marketing Podcast. Yay, thank you for having me. And I also wanted to say congratulations on 10 years of the Novel Marketing Podcast. That's so exciting, Thomas. Yeah, it makes me feel a little old, but I'm very (laughs) excited to to have gotten the podcast uh, to 10 years. So networking is such corporate buzz language. I wish there was a better term for it, but how would you define networking? To me, it's making work friends, I guess is a good way to say it, (laughs) because you don't get anywhere without people helping you and you can't find people to help help you if you're not out there talking to people. I can teach you some tools to help you so that once you have a foundation of kind of what you talk about, you're going to be less nervous to talk to anybody, no matter what the subject or where you are. Yeah, one of the tools that I find helpful for me is to not be thinking of networking in terms of what can I get out of this relationship, because that makes it really weird and it makes it kind of manipulative. And what I found works better is if I make it not about me, (laughs) where I'm trying to get to know the other person is really what I should do, but I'm an ideas person. So I love to talk about ideas and find the ideas that they're interested in. And we talk about ideas together, but I kind of subtract myself from the conversation, at least initially, or find a way that I can help them. And by trying to help somebody else, and that could be just an introduction, right? One of the best ways that you use networking is by connecting one friend that needs something with another friend who has that thing, right? Like one of my best employees was a recommendation from a friend of mine who also introduced me to my wife. <laughs> so it's wow. like this guy's like two key relationships in my life came from this one friendship. And it was really easy for him to make that introduction. I agree with that. I mean, we call those kinds of people connectors and I am a connector also. I love getting people jobs. I love 
getting people agents because I just like helping people. And I think if everyone goes into it thinking, okay, yes, networking is a dirty word, but I'm going to work on connecting this person with something they need or want. Also, the flip side of networking too and connecting is listening. You were just talking about talking with people, but you've talked about listening about what they are interested and excited about. And I think that is also important is when you meet someone and you introduce yourself, you talk about yourself for a minute, but then you flip it around and you start asking them questions. And giving gifts to people, right? One of the easiest ways to serve someone is to just listen to them, like truly mm -hmm. listen to them and be interested in them. And you're like, that seems so basic. It's like, most people go through an entire day without having anybody really listen to them <laughs> or maybe just a little bit at the end of the day. But we are the loneliest we've ever been as a society. There's a something I saw statistics, something like 40 percent of people don't have a single close friend. It used to be the circle friend was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. But now for a lot of people, it's zero people. And so if you'll be that person, even for just one short conversation to really listen and to ask good questions and to ask follow-up questions where to, that's demonstrating that you're really listening. And, and you have to really be interested. This isn't something that you fake. But you can choose to be interested in something. You don't know what difference, even just a three-minute conversation that's no big deal to you, but where you're kind and really listening is going to make in someone's life. This isn't about pitching, but I'm going to share something that happened over the weekend. I'm from Texas, and we chat. We're big chatters. And my dad, as he's gotten older is even more of a chatter. He wants to talk to everyone in the restaurant and he especially likes talking to fathers of little blonde girls because they remind <laughs> him of me when I was little and he and I were out. So we were having a father-daughter meal and there was a dad with a blonde little girl of about eight. My dad popped up to talk to them. I didn't. I was focused on my salad. <laughs> and the father came up and said, your dad is so sweet. He just made me feel so much better. My wife passed away in June and I feel so overwhelmed. And he just made me feel so much better about being a father. That conversation where my dad was just being friendly might have changed that man's whole trajectory of his life. He was in real trouble. That's what Thomas is talking about is really having an honest conversation where you're building a relationship. So to me, I love people and I do find them interesting. I don't have to work at it. So I'm excited to talk to people and find out what makes them tick, what they're excited about. I love hearing what everyone's story is about. I want to hear what your book is about. I want to hear what your screenplay is about. I'm a story geek. Tell me a story. And if you approach things that way, I think you're going to be really surprised at the results and you're going to feel more confident yourself in, in being out there and talking as well. You're going to enjoy it. And then it's not going to be a chore and you're going to have amazing results. But for some people, it's really scary, right? Going up to a stranger yeah. at a restaurant. Obviously, for your dad, it's not scary. <laughs> and I feel like for anyone, once they're in their 80s, they're too old to be scared yeah. of other people. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but most of us aren't in our 80s. And we still have a little bit of those middle school feelings where we're insecure yes. and we're afraid that people are judging us. We haven't fully grown out of that yet. If you are networking, like to make it sound all formal, you're probably at an event and that could be a writer's conference. It could be a writer's meetup. It could be some kind of convention, like a comic book convention. And the nice thing about that is 
everybody is there to meet people. So it's way less scarier. I'm not telling you to go up to strangers in a restaurant like my dad, (laughs) but it's way less, it's still scary. I, I mean, you have to practice to get over your fear. I'm not negating anyone's fear, but it's slightly less scary when you're in a situation like a conference or an event where everybody is there to meet people because people are naturally more friendly. And and you have to remember too that everyone there is having nerves, not just you. <laughs> the foundation of what I teach people in pitching is what I call the cocktail pitch. And it is, other people call it an elevator pitch. I think cocktail pitch is way more fun because it's what you say, what someone asks you, you're at a cocktail party, They want to know what you're doing, what you're working on now, or who you are. So as writers, when you introduce yourself, don't just say, I'm a writer. That's what you say if you don't want them to ask any follow-up questions. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Thomas. I used to live in Los Angeles and work in the entertainment industry. And there, you can't throw a rock without hitting five writers, right? And (laughs) I was going to these networking events for writers and creators and they and people would say and novelists do this too i'm a writer and they'd be all like embarrassed and look down and not make eye contact and it drove me crazy because i would have to say oh what kinds of things do you write well, i'm a screenwriter i mean no <laughs> <laughs> and here you are the person who takes the pitches for screenplays, like the very person that they're at the event to talk to. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I never have once have met a writer who said, I'm a writer and I write these kinds of stories. So that's what I encourage y'all to do. So it's, I'm a novelist and I write whatever you write. So my favorite example is a writer named Inez Johnson. And she says, hi, I'm Inez and I write kissing books. Done. Right. I want to talk to her. I just love the way she said kissing books. She didn't say romances. So it, it doesn't have to be elaborate, but it has to be something that tells me a little bit about what you do, a little bit about your genre you're, you work in and a little bit of your sass. And by that, I mean uh, just a little bit of your personality, because that's what's going to make me remember you is your personality plus what you write. So the easiest way to figure this out is to look at all of your books. Now, don't panic. I know a lot of you aren't published or you're in the middle of writing your first book, but I also know you have more than one idea. So I suggest you sit down and write a one or two word sentence about all of your ideas. I mean, even ones you think you're never gonna have time to write. And what you're gonna notice is there's some connective tissue that makes all of these things work together. Even if they're in different genres, maybe there's a theme to it and come up with a description based on all of that about what kind of writer you are. And that is how you introduce yourself. Then you've gone from conversation killer to conversation starter because people are going to want to know more about your stories and how you got started. Yeah, and I would say... It's not enough to just say your genre. It's okay to say your genre. It's like, oh, I write sci-fi books. But you also want to say what makes you different from other books in that genre, what makes you special. That I Write Kissing Books is a really good example of this because (laughs) you have kind of a continuum of romance books. We have erotica on one side and you have really clean on the other. 
kissing's kind of in the middle, right? So it's not <laughs> full on erotica, but it's also not Amish where they wave at each other at the end and, you know, <laughs> you have the, the end and you assume they get married after. So that actually specifies where on the continuum she writes, which then helps you as the reader know very quickly if you're looking for that, right? Some people are like, oh, nope, that's too spicy for me, or that's not spicy enough for me. The, the reader makes that decision. You don't make the decision as the author, but you help them know if you're for them. And even if they don't read that at all, right? Like for me, if you want to get my attention, your pitch needs to have the word dragon in it, right? You're like, <laughs> I write dragon books. I'm like, keep talking. <laughs> And so the pitch will resonate with different people, but you want to give a little bit more than just the genre and you want to be as specific in your genre as possible. Although I'll say if you write, say, a real specific genre like lit RPG, that may be enough Like, because people will then be curious. What's lit RPG? Or I love lit RPG or I hate lit RPG. Those are the only three factions. <laughs> They'll fall in. The, the secret to pitching is it's selling, not telling. So what do I mean by that? You're trying to sell your story and not in a bad way because you want people to read your book, but you don't need to tell every single detail because the people's eyes would glaze over, right? You, it, you want to just tell them enough that they're excited about it. And you'd spoil the book. Like it's bad <laughs> for so many reasons. The purpose of the pitch is to convince someone that they want the book, not to tell them so much about the book that they now know they don't need the book. Right. Yes. And it, this is a really hard skill, understandably, for writers because they love their story. They've lived with their story probably for years. They want to tell you every single detail of the magic system and give you the whole family tree. You get to talk about the protagonist and maybe the antagonist and if it's a romance, you get to talk about both of the people in the romance. That's it. <laughs> right? That's true. Keep the number of characters in your pitch to a bare minimum. The quirky friend, not in the pitch. He's great for the book, but he, he's not going to sell the book. No. Right. So less is more when you're pitching. So the first step in your project cocktail pitch is your format and your genre. Now, we already know your format here because it's a novel, but you can still remind people this is a cozy mystery or this is a twisty political thriller. Hearing the genre before you launch into the story automatically grounds the listener or the reader, if they're reading it as a blurb, into your story. They automatically know where we are. And they already have expectations. So they're going to be able to follow what you say next because they know the tropes. They know the genre. As Thomas mentioned with lit RPG, they may tune out. They may be like, ah, oh, not for me. And you don't take it personally. You say, okay, well, nice meeting you. What's, what are you right? But it's a great way to start. And that is the right approach, right? If somebody is bored, stop talking and ask a question <laughs> because you need yes. to treat that person as a human being and you don't want them to see you as a boring person. And so stopping talking and asking them a question about them and they may be like, no, I don't want to talk about that. I want to hear more about your book, right? Then you keep talking. <laughs> but if then they start talking about them, then you talk to them about them, right? Your goal in a conversation is to serve and bless the other person. And if their goal is to serve and bless you, it goes back and forth, and it's this beautiful thing. If you're both trying to serve and bless yourselves, 
then it <laughs> falls apart. <laughs> All of society falls apart. Not just yes. that conversation, but like these are the bonds that hold civilization together. It's uh, the bonds of friendship, the bonds of loyalty. And it's it's really important <laughs> to get this right. Yes, you're you're telling somebody about your book, but more importantly, much more importantly, you're trying to connect to that person as people. Because it may be that that person's not into your book, but they could still be a good friend. Right? I have friends that don't read the same kind of books that I do. I'm actually friends with people who don't think Brandon Sanderson's a good writer and they don't like his books. Honest <sighs> truth. <laughs> well, I think too, a part of this is you've talked about in other episodes, how important it is to have author friends and you probably would be better served not having all your author friends be in your genre because you can always learn from other kinds of stories, right? So you want a wide variety of people in your author circle. You want at least one friend who's nerdier than you and one friend who's more personable than you. <laughs> I love I love that. I okay, great. I will put that into the networking secret sauce. I love it. <laughs> So this, the next thing is a film and entertainment business trick, which is Touchstone. I'm sure you guys have all heard the, this movie is X meets Y, right? And it seems a little cliched and a little stupid, but it's still in use in Hollywood today. And the reason is it works. So I encourage you to think about your touchstones for your book. But the twist is I encourage you to pick TV and movies instead of other books, because sadly, people are more familiar with movies and television. You, sh you share a wider collective experience than with books. Brandon Sanderson is huge in some circles. Lots of people don't know who he is, right? <laughs> but everyone's heard of the Avengers, even if they haven't seen an Avengers movie. So pick things that are kind of universal. There's really three main ways to use touchstones. So the first one is the X meets Y. So my speaking of Avengers, my, my example is Frozen meets the Avengers. So I hear that and I think, oh, okay, so it's fairy tale superheroes. That's kind of cool. And then, of course, you get to tell me more. The other way is to take a touchstone and set it in a different setting. So a actual book favorite, which I love, is in high school. So this book is frozen in high school. Again, I know exactly what it is now. And finally, the third way is to use other people's audiences. If you liked Frozen and if you liked The Princess Bride, you're going to like my book. Again, I'm like, okay, well, Frozen is a fairy tale about two sisters and The Princess Bride is a romantic comedy. And I like both of those. So I want to hear more about it. The so next, you're going to segue into your emotional hook. Now, this is the hardest bit of a cocktail pitch because it seems a little bit amorphous, but you have to think about the emotion. Okay. So emotion sells and you want to make your character's struggle relatable to your audience. And there's three ways to do this as a metaphor, as an archetype, or ask a question. So a, a good example of a question is, do you remember when you were afraid of the dark as a kid and you didn't want to look under your bed? So uh, automatically, anyone who hears that is going to be like, yes, because we've all had those moments when we were young, thinking that there's something scary in our bedroom. So that's the emotional hook. Now notice, we've already covered a lot of ground and we haven't even gotten to your concept of your story yet, but already people are intrigued. 
you've given a lot of information around your story and we know a little bit about what your book is and you haven't really told us anything. So next, we're finally getting to the nitty gritty, which is your main character and their emotional drive. And this is my favorite example of all time, (laughs) which is Katniss from The Hunger Games. Katniss is an ordinary 16-year-old girl whose selfless sacrifice to save her sister's life starts a revolution. I hear that and boom, I actually don't need to hear the rest of the pitch because I want to know why did she have to save her sister's life? How did the revolution start? Did she save her sister's life? Did she win? Like all these questions pop up. So you're already at your tell me more. The power of curiosity is in the tension between what people know and what they don't know. And you have to be right at the edge. So if it's something that people already know, they're not interested. And if it's something that's so far away from what they know that they would have to learn things to be curious, they're also not interested, right? So if I was like, did you know who Magneto's daughter is? And it's actually Scarlet Witch. And you're like, who's Magneto? Who's Scarlet (laughs) Witch? I don't care, (laughs) right? Or Thomas, I read X-Men for decades. Everybody knows that, (laughs) right? Whereas other people are like, what? Some of the X-Men are on the Avengers, right? So you have to know who your audience is. No pitch works for everyone. And the key is to find that place where you can make somebody curious. And that's going back to what you're talking about earlier about those touchstones and why that's so important is that it forces you to connect your book with something that somebody already knows so that you're closer to that curiosity gap, which is where the tell me more comes in. I love that curiosity gap. That's I'm going to steal that if I can. <laughs> it's not my term. It's not my term. It's a well-researched oh, okay. term. <laughs> oh, okay. So like I said, you may get to stop your pitch there, but there are two more p- parts to it if you need it. And the next one is I call the story appetizer. So it's just three or four more sentences about your main character and what they're trying to accomplish and how they do it. Again, like we said at the top of this, you're not listing every character. You're not overburdening the the reader or the listener with a bunch of detail. It's just enough. And if possible, I would avoid putting other characters in here. I really like to focus this on Katniss. But Gail is such an interesting character and there's a romantic triangle. (laughs) And surely we have to talk about the evil (laughs) Emperor Snow. (laughs) Right. You don't need it here. But be really focused on limiting your detail because the moment you start giving more detail, it seems counterintuitive. Like I said, it's your baby and you want to tell everything about it. But the moment you start loading your reader or your listener up with detail, their eyes are going to glaze over. Picture your reader as a glass and you're pouring knowledge about your book into that glass. So if you're just talking about Katniss you can fill up that whole glass with information about Katniss that makes him curious to learn more about Katniss. But now I want you to imagine that you've got Gale, all this information about Gale, and you're pouring that into the glass. That's pushing out information about Katniss, right? Because there's only a certain amount of water that can fit in the glass. And the more you water down Katniss, the more you water down your pitch. So a good pitch is all about that one most interesting element. 
and the more focused that is, the better the pitch is. It doesn't mean you don't talk about Gale or whoever else in the book, but you don't talk about it right away. <laughs> you got to build up that relationship and earn that. Please tell me more about your book. You know, who else is in it? It's like, oh, let me tell you, all the other characters are great too. Yes. I love the glass analogy. It's true. You don't want to water down your pitch. You want to keep the focus on the main character and the main emotion. So we're at the end now. You want to end on a cliffhanger that emphasizes the emotional stakes of your story. And I really like to end with the question, can they do it? Because it's like, again, going back to can Katniss save her, her sister's life? Can she win the revolution? These, this is a great way to end your cocktail pitch and get to the, the tell me more or the bot click and buy. And I would say the can they do it question works best if you've done a really good job demonstrating the stakes. What's the result of failure? So in the Katniss example, it's saving her sister's life, right? So those are pretty high stakes. It doesn't have to be saving the world. I actually feel like saving her sister's wife is emotionally more powerful than quote unquote saving the world because we can't really picture saving the world, but we can picture a dead sister and the impact that would have on a family. And also the stakes and the clock, right? Not all <laughs> genres have a clock, right? But if there's a sense of urgency and you're able to establish that in your pitch, then the can we do it has even more power as a question. Yes, I think, and everything is urgent, really. I mean, let everything is urgent. If the lovers are going to get together or not, that is urgent, right? That's life changing. So any story can be urgent. If you would like, I could run through a quick example of all this. Yeah, let's okay. do it. This animated movie is Dirty Dozen meets the Big Bang Theory. This is the age-old struggle of the geeks versus the jocks and how it feels to know you can be the hero and always be overlooked. Our story takes place in the world of holiday icons where Santa and the Easter Bunny are the cool kids. But when they're kidnapped, it's up to the unsung holiday icons led by Earl the Groundhog from Groundhog Day to save Christmas. Will our ragtag group of heroes be able to rescue Santa in time and get him back to the North Pole? I love the stakes of that for its target audience, right? right. I have small children. And the idea of not having Christmas is, I think, the greatest <laughs> possible tragedy. So we've got some really good stakes and a good sense of urgency because Christmas is going to roll around. And so it's either going to happen or not, right? What made the White Witch evil? It wasn't the snow. It was her taking away Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I like to use this example because it's got the archetypes of the geeks versus the jocks and the emotion of we all feel overlooked. Even people who were the jocks think feel like geeks. It's got all of not just the urgency, but the hallmarks of relatability and rootability. I love Earl the Groundhog. So <laughs> the other thing is to use your genre and your tropes because people love genres for the tropes. It's not selling out. It's not being uncreative. When you're talking about your book to folks, it's a fairy tale retelling with vampires. I mean, whatever it is, <laughs> use those tropes because People are expecting them, and if you, they want to hear about them and how you did them, your take on them, your spin on them. Tropes are like ingredients. When you're at a restaurant and you're reading the menu, they'll have the name of the dish 
And then often there's a few words underneath the name of the dish that are some of the key ingredients that like give that dish its flavor. And saying, oh, I'm writing a story without any tropes is kind of like saying, I've cooked a dish without any ingredients. <laughs> it's like, it's going to have tropes, right? It's going to have people. They're going to do things. They're going to talk to each other. They're going to be in a setting. You're going to have to make specific decisions about all of those things. And you're going to end up doing some tropes. And so do them on purpose because people are looking for certain tropes. There's a reason people prefer some books over others. And just like on a menu, Pick out the ingredients that are the most interesting. You love your story. So be excited to share it. Stand tall. And if it's not someone's cup of tea, that's okay. But you might meet someone who is going to be your first forever fan. You just don't know. And the flip side of that is be excited to hear other people's stories and what they're working on. So now we have this pitch. We've worked on it. What advice do you have for somebody who is overwhelmed with the idea of meeting a lot of new people? They're shy. And they are afraid of getting judged or ridiculed, right? They, they, echoes of middle school are pounding in mm. their head. Oh, I feel, I'm feeling for that person. The first thing is practice. So practice both your personal pitch that you've honed about what kind of writer you are and practice your cocktail pitch about whichever book that you're going to talk about at this event. And then maybe run it by a friend or two. One of the things that was really helpful for me was realizing that nobody cares about me. Right? So you, <laughs> you walk into a room and you're like, oh, everyone's looking at me. Everyone's criticizing what I'm wearing. And the reality is none of those people are thinking about me at all. <laughs> they don't care about me one little bit. Those people are all thinking about themselves and they're yes. wondering what I'm thinking about them. <laughs> right? Like everybody is thinking about themselves almost all the time. And once you realize that there's this kind of comfort of knowing that you're not being gazed at, then you start talking to people about them, right? You ask questions about them. It puts them at ease. And as you're putting people at ease, you'll find that you are set at ease yourself. And so instead of thinking about yourself all the time, it's more of like, how can I serve? How can I be a blessing to these people? And if I'm focusing on that, if I'm focusing on being a blessing, my nerves go way down because it's not about me anymore. And it makes things easier psychologically. Yeah, so I, I agree with all of that. And a follow-up that I always tell myself and other folks is that you may be the answer to someone's prayers in that room. They may have been praying, I need a fairy tale vampire novel. I mean, <laughs> and you walk right up to them and that's what your story is. So you just don't know. There's probably someone in that room that's been hoping to meet you. They just don't know it. And that also makes it more about them than you. And that cuts the nerves too. And it may be that you're not it. But you know somebody who is. You're like, oh, yeah, I know an intellectual property lawyer. Let me introduce you. And if they're both there, you can introduce them. And that's a lot of fun where you're like, hey, this is Joe Smith. He has a podcast about books. And here is Sarah. And she's an intellectual property lawyer. I think you should have her as a guest. You're right. You give you in the introduction, you don't just give the names, but also one reason why they would be interested in having a conversation with each other. And then you can be a part of the conversation or you can leave. And now you bless both of those people. And you don't even have to be a part of the conversation if you don't want to be. But they will remember that you were the, the connector. So what other tips do you have for making friends and influencing people? Have fun and not take yourself so seriously, but not take the whole process so seriously and be excited to be at whatever event you're at 
is if you look at every interaction as an opportunity to practice and get better, to be become more confident and less shy, and to meet more people and to serve more, then when you do have an off night, you're you're not going to feel like a loser. You're just going to be like, oh, well. And if you're having an off night, no one will notice because no one cares about you. <laughs> They're not noticing you. <laughs> so yeah. it takes so much pressure off. I, it, there's something I've noticed. Authors often are really nervous going to writers conferences when they're trying to get an agent or an editor because mm. there's all this pressure. And I've observed sometimes an author will have scheduled a conference and they got the tickets and then either they'll sign a contract with a publisher right before the conference or they'll decide to go indie. And they find that after that pressure is relieved, suddenly they're enjoying themselves way more because they're just <laughs> talking to people like people <laughs> and they're talking to agents like they're people because agents are people too. And when you're not trying to get something out of the relationship, you don't feel like, oh my gosh, this conversation is going to make or break my career. The, the more you relax and the more you just enjoy it and the less pressure that you put on the, this conversation has to be the conversation that makes the rest of my career, the, the easier it'll be. And I really like what you said about practice. This is why I encourage you to go to a conference to meet other people in the industry, editors and agents and indie book cover designers, right? The website designers, the whole shebang. People gather and they make friends and they connect. And the only way to get good at it is to practice. And so just go to a conference, go to a conference before you need to, so that that first conference isn't the one that has to work because my book is ready. And if I can't get a contract now, I don't know what I'll do with myself. Don't wait that long. <laughs> go sooner than that. Get some practice, build some friendships. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you'll get at doing it. People can smell desperation and it's the biggest turn off on the planet. And they can also smell inauthenticity. So if you're just all in, up in someone's grill because you're trying to get something from them, it's most likely not going to work. That's another reason to just be yourself, have fun, take the pack off, look at everything as an opportunity to practice and get better. And the second thing is you don't have to wait for conferences because there are meetups. I live in Houston and I just went to a meeting a couple of weeks ago of the League of Romance Writers. I was so excited to find them and that they were in Houston and I went to a meeting and that was just a networking opportunity and it was small. There were 20 people there. So there are opportunities and these smaller opportunities are great to practice and make your local author friends. And if there isn't a group for the kind of thing you write, start one. That's my other piece of advice. And the other advantage of that is that you're making deeper friendships because you're seeing the same people every week or every month. Lindsay Hughes, where can people find out more about you? They can find more about me at thepitchmaster.com. And I know that there was a lot of information about cocktail pitching. So I made a little cheat sheet for your listeners of how to cocktail pitch. And that is at thepitchmaster.com forward slash novel marketing. Very good. And we'll have a link to Lindsay Hughes' website as well as that cheat sheet on putting together a pitch in the show notes at authormedia.com. Uh, Lindsay Hughes, thank you so much for joining us today on the Novel Marketing Podcast. Thank you, Thomas. I had an amazing time. And good luck, everybody. And if you're wanting a chance to practice developing both your pitch and your networking, you should really check out the 2024 Novel Marketing Conference at novelmarketingconference.com. 
And the Thursday night before the conference, we're going to have a special patrons only ice cream social. So you don't have to have a ticket to the conference to come to the ice cream social. You just have to be a patron, which will be a great place to meet other authors. Speaking of patrons, our featured patron today is Kamwela Kaneshiro, author of Legends from the Pacific, book one. Looking for something spooky to read in October? Kamwela Kaneshiro has spent years collecting ghost stories and folktales from all around the Pacific. Confront the Philippines' shape-shifting vampire, battle the dreaded Wendigo, and more. Now, you may not want to read this book in the dark, though. You've been warned. <laughs> Kamwela, thank you so much for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much for helping keep this show on the air. We could not do this without you. The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of AuthorMedia.com. Our guest today is Lindsay Hughes. Our producer is Lori Christine. The audio engineering is by William Umstadt. The blog post is by Shauna Lettler. And you can find that blog version of this episode along with links to everything we talked about at AuthorMedia.com slash 389. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. saying thank you for listening and live long and prosper.